Restaurant Unstoppable episode 506 with Lauren Mendoza of Prime 109 in Lampo Pizza. Now, all of us together uh, end up in a really great balancing point, you know, where we can kind of push the envelope and still make things familiar and comfortable for people. Are you ready for it? Factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Introducing Ethic Suite, the first and only misconduct, theft, and fraud reporting platform exclusively for the restaurant industry. Check out restaurantethics.com to see how restaurant employees can report any concerns anonymously, easily, and securely from any device with internet connection. However, if you're an owner or manager, you should check out ethicsuite.com slash restaurantunstoppable for more information on how you can monitor and respond to these reports and stay informed about issues that could affect your business and your reputation. One more time that's ethicssuite.com slash restaurants unstoppable and with excitement allow me to introduce to you today's guest chef lauren mendoza man are you feeling unstoppable yeah, i am today? feeling unstoppable <laughs> yes that's what we like to hear so hailing from nelson county Virginia Lauren Mendoza got his start in the industry at Mark Addy Inn, working under the mentorship of Gail Page Hobbs. She was a past guest on the show. Great story there. If you want to check it out, it's episode 405. Uh, his next transformative role was at Mas Tapas. And then in 2013 at Tavala Restaurant, he met future business partners Mitchell Barons, Ian Redshaw, Andrew Cole, and Shelly Robb in their vision for their own restaurant came into focus. And then in 2014, Lampo Pizza was opened. Three years later, they're in the final stages of opening their second location in Prime 109. And I can't wait to dive into your story and to figure out how you got here, uh, how you've transformed over this time. But let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quarter mantra. What do you got for us? I think it's all about community. Mm, Why? Because that is your support system. I mean, we rely on community every single day, everything we do, even if we don't realize it. Yeah. So when you're talking about community, are you more focused on the immediate community of your business partners and your team or the, the greater community? Greater community, everybody. All I mean, there's so many different spheres that that can overlap. And, and I think it's really important to recognize those things. Nice. Beautiful way to get this thing started. So uh, where did it all start for you? When did you know you were going to commit your life to food and beverage? I, it, honestly, when I, when I went out for my first job interview, uh, a friend of mine uh, got me an interview at the Marcati uh, with uh, the chef at the time, uh, Peter. Uh, he was he was awesome. Uh, he, he he saw something in me enough to give me a shot and you know let let me wash dishes for him. Um, and it, it, it just felt so natural at that point. Now, during the pre-interview chat, we were talking a little bit, too, that you had this kind of come up that's non-traditional, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was it called? What kind of community was it called? It, so it's an intentional community. Okay, uh, so in, very focused on community and mm-hmm. uh, sustainability. And you explain it. You probably do better than I could. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I spent my summers. Uh, well, you know, I grew up in an off-grid house, uh, which is also pretty unique. That is pretty um, badass. You know, no, no uh, electricity. It was solar power and uh, gravity-fed water. Uh, so, you well, know, is this in Virginia? This is in Virginia. Yeah, yeah. yeah There's about 30 minutes south of here. Okay. Um, and you know, spend. I, I went to public schools. I uh, was one of the only uh, hippie kids on my commune to go to public schools. <laughs> okay. But uh, I would spend the summers uh, helping out in the garden, um, and then evenings were spent in the kitchen uh, making large meals for you know a large group of people. 
Uh, and I, I really loved that uh, interaction. You Man, know? I can only imagine how that's transformed you into the person you are today. How has that influenced you? If you had, to- oh, it, uh, it, like I said in my little uh, intro, it, it's everything. Yeah, uh, it's it's a huge part of of you know where I came from, uh, crafting me into the person I am now, and where I see myself in the future. Yeah, what soft skills specifically do you think you gathered from that experience? Oh, I mean, I'd say the the most important is conflict resolution mm-hmm. and uh, negotiation, and being able to hear somebody. Um, you know, when you're trying to resolve a conflict, uh, that's been incredibly important uh, in business, uh, as well as you know, in any working environment. Yeah. So. so, so do you think that influenced your your path your, 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 to where you are today? Like this sense of community, this sense of this closeness to the food that you grew up with, is that one of the reasons why you think you are where you, you are today? Oh, absolutely, 100. percent Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, uh, how old were you when you went for this this job at the the Marcati? I was 15. I believe uh, when when I went in there and, and sat down and, and the job interview consisted of a, a, a quick conversation uh, to get to know him a little bit and then he just turned to me and was like let's make cookies okay <laughs> and uh, I, I laughed and I was like uh, okay and you know it was it was awesome he just wanted to see how I would react um, if I could follow a recipe what was that conversation like uh, I, that brief conversation beforehand was really just introduction you know okay. he wanted to see how comfortable I was in, a, in an interview. Um, and then, you know, pulled out the, I think it was the joy of cooking classic. Okay. Uh, and he said, pick a recipe and, and let's make it. Okay. Um, and afterwards, I think probably about a year or so later, I asked him about that process yeah. and he's like, yeah, I wanted to see what recipe you'd pick and if you could uh, execute it and follow directions. And, and I was like, wow, that's really An insightful way to filter yeah. good people. Yeah, exactly. And it was something as, as kind of off the cuff and as simple as let's make cookies. That's pretty cool. Which is pretty awesome. So, Man, um, what else did you learn from this guy? It seems like he was a key mentor early on. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, early knife skills, um, basic technique, uh, saute, uh, the mother sauces, all the, all the classic French stuff. He went to CIA uh, okay. a long time ago. Um, and uh, so he has a really great technical background and yeah. imparted a lot of that. Um, but, you know, he, let's see, I was 15 when I took the job, and he was my chef there for probably two years. Okay. Um, and then, and then he moved back to New York to be closer to family. Okay. Um, and I was fortunate enough to retain my job. All right. Uh, we had a new chef come in and, um, uh, kind of show me the ropes of, of his style of cuisine. He was a, a West coast guy. Uh, he went to, uh, California culinary Institute, I believe, or okay. Academy. Um, and so now you're brought, 17. Yeah, I'm 17. Um, you know, I think I know it all. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I feel, I feel really comfortable in that kitchen. Uh, and then here comes this new chef. Uh, bringing a whole new style of cuisine, so you know he was he was um, bringing a lot of California wines in and uh, doing the California fresh stuff and a lot of seafood that I didn't have exposure to, uh, being in Central Virginia, uh, which was really cool. I mean, yeah. it was it was really um, really pretty uh, advantageous for me to get that exposure while still being in my comfort zone. So you're you're speaking to the cuisine right now, but how was he different as far as the, the type of person he was and the way he led? Yeah, he was he was a little more of the classic chef. Okay, uh, and I say that you know with air quotes. Um, you Throwing know, things. Yeah, he, was, he had a little he had a little bit of more of a temper, and okay. you know, liked to party a little harder at, okay. at the end of the night, which <laughs> which is always kind of fun. Yeah, um, you know, at, at, especially at, at seventeen when you're you know hanging out and uh, watching the guys have a beer after yeah. after work. That was air quotes too. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it, was, it was cool. You know, it was a good introduction to that side of things as well. Yeah. Um, so what about, did he teach you, do you, you pick up any good habits uh, away from uh, not necessarily cooking, but on like how to run a kitchen, how to 
was he an influence in that way or maybe not or i don't want to speak poorly of anyone but no uh, they they both were okay. um and um specifically how give me an example of how one influenced your your values today the way you conduct your, your own kitchen well uh more specifically inventory management and, and ordering okay. um i got i got exposed to that very early on and it kind of surprises me now when i when i interview uh you know line cooks or a potential kitchen hires how little experience they have with that side of the the business so what level of experience should they have what knowledge should they have well i think i think experience uh, you know getting them involved in the process as early as possible is really important because it's a huge part of the business understanding you know inventory management and control uh and not just being a line cook um and understanding that your profits are really tied to the the last two orders of something or last three orders of something and and that you know you should never throw those away because that's where you make your money. Exactly. Stretching it and, yeah, and absorbing yeah, and, it for yeah. all it's worth. And respecting the ingredient. Yeah. So can you get specific and give us a lesson regarding inventory management or like a thing that you, your team does here that most people don't do that to take it to the next level? Well, I don't know if it's something that most people don't do, but um, but really being thoughtful about your your menu planning okay. uh, and making sure that you can uh, we call it cross pollination of, of dishes. Make sure you can utilize ingredients in different ways, um, not to deceive anyone, but to make sure that you're efficiently using yeah. everything in the kitchen. Absolutely. You know, if if I sit down at a restaurant and I see a menu that has you know 37 different key ingredients all over the menu. It makes me wonder about the organizational structure behind it, <laughs> yeah. you know, um, or if I see something that seems well thought out and well planned, um, it makes me feel better about the whole experience. Yeah, that's cool. Especially having that level of being a chef and having that level of understanding of what it takes to build that. And then you can look at the, the big picture and see the, the, the cross pollination, like you say, yep. that must be really interesting. Um, all right. So eventually, uh, Gail Page Hobbs comes on to the market Addy scene. Mm-hmm. Um, what were the lessons you picked up from her? Well, I mean, she, her cuisine is, uh, and really, I should say it speaks for itself, but most people don't know Gail. She's a local celebrity. Yeah. <laughs> She's an amazing human. Um, she, um, she originally from North Carolina, has an amazing background in Southern cuisine, mm-hmm. uh, had worked with Edna Lewis, uh, who, you know, local uh, Virginia superstar, um, who then cooked all over the South, uh, famous for, obviously, her Southern cuisine. Um, so I picked up a lot of uh, classic Southern technique from Gail. Um, and again, respecting ingredients, hyper-focused on local food, mm-hmm. which uh, growing up on the commune wasn't a thing. Everything was local. Of course it was local. Mm-hmm. We were growing yeah. almost everything. It was as local as your backyard. Right. Um, and foraging, you know, it's something that I didn't consider special when I was a kid because that's what you did. Mm-hmm. Um, and now, uh, to deviate a little bit from the, the Gale thing, but to now have that be such a, um, a focus of people, uh, it seems kind of funny to me because, yeah, of course it should be. Like, yeah. why would you do it any other way? Exactly. Gail really helped drive that home for me, though. Like, focus on the local producers. Focus on your local economy. Support your farmers. Go bend over backwards to help support the local farmers because at the end of the day, um, that relationship is going to be the most important thing in your restaurant. How? And that's true. Why? Oh, because cause you're, you're supporting those that support you as well. Mm-hmm. You know, they're going to be there for you. You're, you're there for them. And you're that's on why they're sounding board there and you're sounding board. And it's just that yeah. organic of, of like, yeah. we're in this together. Yeah. And I'm so happy you've said that. And I, I put so much, I reinforce this whenever it comes up in the show. It's those people who are existing to serve others in their community who get ultimately get served the most. Um, but it comes from that place of giving first. Uh, you don't get, 
get until you've given. Um, and just having that mentality of give without the intention to get back, but it, it always comes back. Um, I love it. Um, okay, so what about, uh, she gave you this, this core value of sourcing locally because of the, it's the right thing to do to give to your community. What else did you learn from her? Um, beyond that, um, you know, we were only together for uh, another probably year and a half there. Um, she introduced me to, uh, some of her connections in Charlottesville. She had been a a chef in Charlottesville at Hamilton's for years. uh, I want to say 10 years, um, prior to, to leaving and and, and coming out to the Marcati. Uh, so she introduced me to, um, you know, Christian Kelly, who's another restaurant owner in, in Charlottesville. Uh, no, if I remember her story, did she end up, did she purchase the Marchetti? No, they were, they were thinking about partnering in the Marchetti, okay. her and her husband, Daniel. And this is a property, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a, it's a in and property. Yeah. Um, and we had a far, uh, a garden on the property. Um, but you know, it's a very tricky business yeah. and, uh, it was, it was a very tricky time too. <laughs> Cause it was, it was right around, uh, 2004. Um, and you know the economy was starting to you know take a little turn at that yeah. point, and things weren't quite so. Sh- so at uh, this certain. point, you're like twenty, twenty-one. You're- I was I was twenty. Okay. Um, and uh, ready to move to, to Charlottesville. And my next big step, move to the big city. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, you <laughs> know she introduced she introduced me to Tomas uh, over at Mas Tapas, and we. This is just when he's getting started. Yeah, yeah. Support. They had been open for maybe a year, and actually, mm-hmm. Gail and I did a cooking class um, at a local uh, studio space. And afterwards, uh, she asked if I wanted to get something to eat. And in my little country mind, uh, no, it's 1030. Nothing's still open, <laughs> <laughs> except in the big old city of Charlottesville. Right. And she said, well, my friend just opened this, this tapas place in Belmont. You want to go check it out? I'm like, yeah, sure. And we walk in, and it was one of those transformative experiences in my career. Take us to that experience. Oh, my gosh. We, we walked in, you know, and it's, it's 11 o'clock at night. There is European, um, you know, dance music blasting and bass is heavy and it's full of people still at 11 o'clock at night and beautiful waitresses and fire on the grill and all these amazing Spanish ingredients. Is that an open grill? Oh, yeah, no, open like, kitchen. And I must have not seen it where I was because I was at the bar. Is it like around the back or something? No, that's, that's, the, um, that's the open kitchen there. And now it's changed quite a bit okay, over the years. Okay. But, um, you know, back then, you know, everything out on display um, when we sit down at the bar and I'm just mesmerized by, yeah. you know, we got open fire, uh, all the, all the things, all those primordial things that are just, uh, right there in your face. Yeah. Bocarones laid out, port- fire roasted porcini mushrooms, which I had read about, but never had. Um, you know, and I think I just turned 21. So a big old glass of Barolo or, or <laughs> no, I, I, sorry. Um, a big old glass of Rioja. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was awesome. Um, and I remember leaving that, that night, uh, we probably left at two in the morning and being like, wow, I want to, I want to work there. Nice. And uh, eventually that's where you, you wound up. Uh, so at this point you've been, you're, you're gotten really to the industry around 14. So now you have six years under your belt, which is really crazy to think to be, you I mean, you're cooking for six years professionally at that point. That's a real big head start on a lot of the people you're staying shoulder to shoulder with. Yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say cooking for that long, but oh. at least, at least, you know, what around you food. I mean, I was, I was, I was prepping. Okay. Um, I guess it's still fall. I mean, it's still a skill set yeah, based, but absolutely. I wasn't crafting dishes or, um, I was I, at that point, I guess you're just, you're learning ingredients, you're learning basic technique and you're starting to build your palate. Okay. And, so if, where was your skill level going and joining the team uh, at Moss Tapas? At Moss, I, I I would say if we're if we're going on like a, a one to ten, I was probably a, a three or a four. Okay, 
which you know you know is, is respectable yeah. enough. I mean, it gives you plenty of room to grow, and yeah. you have grown yeah. a lot since, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, um, take us through your where you were at and where Chef Tomas brought you as far as your your food knowledge, your appreciation for uh, anything that comes to mind. Oh my gosh! Well, there's a lot to unpack there, but um, you know, I came in. Uh, originally uh, at Moss, I was just supposed to be an extra hand on deck and they were starting to do brunches and, uh, you know, Tomas knew me through Gail and said, Hey, do you want to, want to pick up a couple brunch shifts? Uh, but you know how turnover is in the restaurant industry. And, yeah. uh, I literally show up the first day of work and the guy I was supposed to be training with, uh, never showed up. Mm. Uh, so I immediately got his job Promoted. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and, uh, the other guy came in and I'd been in Moss a few times. So I, I knew kind of the general setup and yeah. I, I did the best I could before he got there. And, uh, I, I guess he appreciated that, that I, you know, I gave it a, a go <laughs> rather than just sitting on my thumbs. And, um, you know, his name is Mike Catola, the guy who came in to train me, uh, actually came in. And uh, we worked together for four years okay. at, at Moss, you know, before he, he moved out to Seattle. Now he's back and he's running Moss now. Okay. I met him, actually. Yeah, that, that, he's awesome. Okay. He's a great dude. So now you're, you were four years here. What, any major takeaways, anything that you didn't have a part of who you were that you, you gained, that you garnered through this experience at Tomas before... Yeah, so Moss, Moss is an interesting uh, restaurant in that you don't really have a lot of creative input. All that comes from Tomas, uh, or did. Um, you were just asked to to execute his menu, which I think is you know pretty standard yeah. in in a, in a restaurant. It, it was different than the Marchetti, where I felt like even there I had some creative input, yep. uh, whether it was listened to or not. Different, but it was more of an open source kind okay. of uh, thing. Moss, not that. Yeah. Um, but was nice because you can really just focus on flavor and mm-hmm. making it the best you can possibly make it in the confines of that dish. The conversation I had with your business partner Mitchell regarding his experience at uh, Moss Tapas was that he got a whole new appreciation for the level of uh, the 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 intimacy that goes with food. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other cool thing I drew from that conversation with Mitchell was that any excess profit, anything that was beyond what was expected that uh, to meet the, the demands of running the business and paying his employees went back to the experience on splurging on ingredients that uh, would, you know, basically spoil the guest. Was that yeah. something that you picked up on oh, too? Oh, absolutely. Have, yeah, you, no. have you taken that and, and, you, and does that followed you through your career? Yeah, I think if anything, it's a curse now because, <laughs> because once you have the best expression of a particular ingredient, yeah. it's impossible to go back yeah. and say, well, this one's good enough. It's like no. driving like a you know Ferrari and then having to go back to, a, I don't know, what's a shitty car? I'm not a car guy. Uh, a Saturn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it... it, it it was both a blessing and a curse yeah. that that we got exposed to these amazing ingredients, um, and then you know when you go off on your own to open your own restaurant, you can't start there. <laughs> no, yeah. you, you, but you have to because yeah. there's there's no going back, mm-hmm. and and if you do, you're you're essentially you're lying to yourself and your customers. Yeah. Um, so uh, eventually, you found your way over at Tavola, mm-hmm. uh, which is basically a neighbor. You guys are like right next door, right? Yeah. Uh, what was uh, appealing about this situation where you um, left to? Yeah, so I, I I left I left Moss under um, interesting circumstances. I left to to partner with another gentleman uh, for a fast casual concept. It didn't work out. Okay, um, it was a, an important lesson to learn. Can we talk about why it didn't work out? Uh, back, knowing yeah. what you know now. No, it, it you know it, certain promises were made that weren't exactly held up. Um, okay. I made the decision pretty quickly into the uh, to the relationship that it wasn't worth uh, trying to remedy. That 
too many things just weren't lining up okay. to have it actually so be honest. Knowing what you know now, uh, what would you have done back then to protect yourself before getting too committed? You know, that's the thing. I, I don't know if I would have done anything differently okay. other than, you know, sometimes you, you take a leap of faith, recognizing it as soon as possible and, and doing what you need to do to um, take care of yourself and, and correct the mistake. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's very similar to, a, to a, like a, a play in the stock market. Yeah. You know, don't hold on to something because it's um, romanticized. You, yeah. You know, like, if, you know, get out while you still can. Yeah, I think that's yeah, a lot of... Salvage something. Even and, in the, the regards... Did you guys open the restaurant? No. He, okay. had, he had established himself already and was interested in franchising, uh, doing like a small franchise. So when you say he was established, he already had another business? Mm-hmm. What was mm-hmm. the other... Uh, no, 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 okay. I, I got you. I got you. I don't want to get anybody... Uh, it's all I, about I, res- I respect that. I respect that. Um, any other details you can give us on, as far as the lessons drawn from this experience to get specific? Yeah, no, it... it, it, it that experience, there was a, a distinct vibe that you got in the, in the front of the house there, which was very positive and passionate and welcoming. And like a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, in the back kitchen, it was the complete opposite. So behind closed doors, it was very aggressive and uh, demeaning. And certain employees would be uh, reduced to tears at oh, almost daily yeah. uh, in a really toxic environment. Mm. But you never would have known that. Uh, from the front of the house experience, um, so until you were in it, you, you had yeah, no you way had of knowing. No, you no way, of, no knowing. way of knowing. How long were you there before you just chose that? That wasn't the a right month. Month. Yeah. Okay, one so month. It was a very quick. Yeah. Quick decision. Lesson. Yeah. Yeah. Um, sweet. So where did you end up after this? So then, then I ended up at Tavola. I know what I should say there was a there was a little bit of a break in between. I reached out to Michael Kevney, who is the owner of Tavola. Okay. Who had been the GM for the restaurant group that owns Moss. Okay. Uh, so we had a relationship before then. He had actually asked me if I was interested in um, coming over to his uh, new restaurant, Tavola, before I left Moss. I said, no, I, I'm pretty comfortable where I am. I appreciate the offer, but yeah. I can't. Uh, so That then, was when you were with this other group that didn't do well. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And then, What was your role going to be there? Executive chef, partner? Yeah, executive chef. Okay. Um, and then eventually partner. Okay. And that, was the, that was the plan. What was the concept? I'm curious. What were you making? Uh, fast, casual, Middle Eastern food. Okay. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And I think it's still a great concept. He's still running a very successful business. No knocks. Um, okay. It's just, it just wasn't a good fit. Okay. Um, so uh, I reached out to Michael Kevney after that experience and asked if he was still interested. Um, he said... That he had a sous chef, but uh, and he wouldn't let anybody go just to make space for me, which I respect. Yeah. Um, but he said he was still very interested, and he said, "Should anything, you know, come up in the future, please, uh, you know, keep me in mind." Yeah. So I said, "Sure." Um, I ended up taking a. I didn't have any experience with Italian cuisine anyway. Um, so, but I'm passionate about it. Love it. Love to mm-hmm. eat it. Uh, so I was like, you know what? I'll I'll, I'll take this time. I'll explore Italian cuisine a little bit more. I ended up taking a job at a place called Vivace uh, in town, which is a long uh, established uh, restaurant in Charlottesville um, and had a great experience there for about six months. Were you on the line or? Uh, yeah, I was, I was sous chef there. Okay. Uh, Landon Saul uh, was the executive chef. He's now the owner. Um, you know, it's more of an American Italian cuisine. So like, Red sauces, spaghetti. Yeah, but meatballs. I mean, you know, a, a, a great spot. Uh, they, they, they do a, a brisk business there. They've been around forever. Okay. Um, and so it allowed me to do something very comfortable and safe and, and still experiment with Italian flavors and ingredients, okay. uh, which was pretty awesome. And then, um, lo and behold, Mike Kevney calls me up about six months later and said, hey, I've got an opening. Are you still interested? And, what was that uh, opening? Uh, the sous chef job. Okay. So I said, absolutely, and uh, jumped at it and nice. was there for uh, a little over four years. Four years. So this is, um, so you're 2008 approximately when you left 
uh, Moss to Moss. It was it was two thousand nine. Right. I was I was at Moss for Moss about Topless. five years. Yeah, um, five years, two thousand nine, um, six years. You're going on like two thousand ten, approaching two thousand ten is when you join um, Tavala, uh, and you said you were there for four years, mm-hmm. four so and a half. Yeah. What did you learn? What were the the new lessons about this place? What were the things that they were doing differently that you hadn't experienced up to this point, aside from the cuisine? Um, well, in, in, in a lot of ways, it was a good blend of what Moss brought to the table and what I had experienced at the Marchetti with Gail, where Michael had his dishes mm-hmm. that you had to replicate exactly, yeah. but he was also open to um, your creative side, okay. um, and we could collaborate on dishes. Okay. In fact, uh, the first time that we sat down together to talk about the position, he said, hey, I really need a new steak dish. And we just riffed back and forth on this dish. Um, and put together put together something that we thought would be appealing. Okay. Um, we, we put it on as a special, and it's been on the menu ever since. So having that experience of um, being kind of you know um, a puppet in the sense that like you're just going through the motions and trying to serve someone else's vision, someone else's uh, interests, to being able to contribute to the ultimate experience uh, and having a, a piece of your DNA, your you know your your existence on that menu. How did that make? How did you, did you cook differently because of this? Did it did it affect you? I don't know if I cooked differently, um, but you definitely. I mean, you always take pride in what you do. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's an extra layer of appreciation or or thanks that you feel when somebody appreciates your dish. I yeah. should say, yeah. and and when you're like, oh, I love my meal tonight. I'm like, great, I'm glad I prepared it well. Or like, hey, I love my meal tonight. Wow, not only did I prepare it well, but I you you appreciated the, the, the <laughs> yeah. composition that yeah, went yeah, into yeah. it. So that's. You know, it, it it gives you a deeper... What about a level uh, of happiness? Do you have a different yeah. degree of happiness working yeah. there at other restaurants? Yeah, I mean, happy, all, you know, at every <laughs> stop along the way. Yeah, yeah. Um, But, yeah, very different. Okay, um, how is it different? So, Moss, Moss was amazing for my early 20s because it was more of a party atmosphere. Yeah. Um, we, we felt like rock stars. You know, yeah. we were the most popular restaurant in town. We were the busiest restaurant in yeah. town. We so that drank feeds hard into after those, work. Those higher, you know, that 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 Maslow's hierarchy of needs of uh, belonging to something and mm-hmm. growing and learning and being a part of a group that's respected and being associated with that that high level of respect. Uh, that there's definitely some levels of happiness that come from that for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, how was it different over at uh, Tavola? And and Tavola very similar. We we felt like we had the respect of uh, of our peers and of you know the people who were coming in because we were producing uh, great. Great, great cuisine, um, but it felt a little more professional at times because it was more about the the work experience um, and and what we were pouring into our work as opposed to we, we didn't go out and party after mm-hmm. work together. Yeah. So um, all our relationships in the in the restaurant were very professional. Okay, which is both good and bad. Yeah. And I think I think it, it helps you focus and you get to pour a little bit more maybe into the food. Yeah. I think it's good that. I personally come from the 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 train of thought that you should hang out with your coworkers after work. You should be able to kick back, relax, and enjoy their company beyond just the professional. But there's also that fine line of taking it too far where it's un- un- unhealthy behavior regardless what situation <laughs> you're in. Um, yeah. Part of that culture, right, of you yeah. know, taking care of yourself. Yeah, delicate um, balance. Yeah. yeah. So you, you felt like you kind of had that balance. Or was there was there that sense of going out and having a good time with the tabla too? Yeah, yeah. It was just a little bit more um, – Reserved. Okay. Any business lessons from Tavala? Oh, absolutely. Any, so dive into some of those. Some things yeah. You so up. Michael Michael was amazing in that he opened up his books completely. Okay. You know, so I got, open book management. Yeah, and I, I got a I got a taste of it at Moss, where you know when I took on more responsibility there, 
um, I was exposed to, you know, being in control of food cost, yeah. uh, which is obviously just a huge step. Um, but at, at Tavola, it was 100%. You know, so you have access only to... only control the food costs, but you know exactly what we made tonight, where that money is going, mm-hmm. who's getting paid what, and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, and that is uh, an invaluable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, why, is that, why is that so valuable, that, that approach to management? Why? Well, I mean, I think that, is, that lays the groundwork for any business plan that you write in the future. I yeah. mean, understanding all those numbers, not being intimidated by the numbers, being yeah. honest uh, with yourself about those numbers. Yeah. I don't mind making money for somebody else. Mm-hmm. Uh, as long as as long as it's open, yeah, um, you know that's part of it. It's, I was I was basically um, getting paid in the experience, which yeah. has proved very in valuable. Your, in your like you're learning invaluable skills. Yeah, uh, it's not enough just to go through the motions, but you're learning how to run a business, no matter who you are. From uh, I don't know how far this open book management approach went. If it extended all the way down to like the dishwasher, um, did it? Um, I'm, you know, I think if, uh, it was such a small group yeah. that I think if, if the dishwasher had yeah. had those questions, they probably, they would have been honestly answered. Mm. Um, but I don't, I don't think it was like a, Hey, we're bringing everybody in for a group meeting and, yeah. and pour over the numbers together. But, you know, we always had access to them mm-hmm. uh, for better or worse. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it was, uh, it was a great experience. Uh, it did help influence, um, our decision ultimately to, to branch out on our own. Okay. Um, but it was a it was an amicable uh, split, you know. Um, you know, I said, "Hey, this is the direction we want to go," and um, they the the Kevinies, both uh, Michael and uh, his wife Tammy, were very understanding and very supportive mm-hmm. uh, when we said, "Hey, we want to we want to do it for ourselves now." So we need to go a little bit deeper here because we haven't really touched on the fact that it was at Tavola that you met your business partners that you started forming this team. So um, I guess. What was the organic, um, natural progression of this team coming together? So, um, we'll, we'll go partner by partner. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. And, Who was and, the first and, person that you encountered there? Uh, so, Andrew Cole was there when I took the job. Okay. Um, now, I'd, I'd known Andrew um, because uh, we were both in the same restaurant group prior. Um, uh, Andrew was working on a place called uh, Enoteca uh, that Michael Kevney was managing. It was part of the Umbrella Group uh, owned by Corn Capshaw, Moss's. Uh, one of those restaurants. Okay. So we would go to you know company parties together, and um, we knew each other from uh, frequenting each other's restaurants. Yeah. Um, but I didn't know him well. Okay. Uh, so he was already there. He had taken uh, Mike's initial offer uh, to work at Tavola, and uh, so I got to know him better uh, over a course of a couple of years at at Tavola. Um, Mitchell um, Beeren. Let's, let's go deeper on Andrew real quick. What was it about Andrew that uh, was the initial appeal to who he was, how he worked, what made you develop this trust? He's he's so flexible, um, and and he's passionate about uh, about learning new things. And you know he he was passionate about wine, and he has an amazing ability um, to to really learn everything there is to know about a certain subject. Yeah. Um, and he, and. His passion for that subject is infectious. Yeah. Uh, so I'm I'm not. I mean, this might be um, uh, blasphemy, but I'm not a big wine guy. Yeah. Uh, so uh, you said he was flexible. You meaning that he was originally the a back of house dude who transitioned mm-hmm. to a front of house. Guy. Yeah. Yeah. And so when I when I signed on at um, Tavola, he's bumping around. Yeah. Right the prep crew just started. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, he was he was working salad side and I was working grill side, uh, so we had that relationship, which is which is awesome. Okay, uh, and then he he transitioned out into front of the house um, and and started focusing on general management uh, management and and being the wine steward there. Okay, um, so now he's got that back of house, um, I guess, 
sympathy because he's mm-hmm. been there yep. uh, and he's learning that the front of house, he's an asset in that regard that he's picking up all that, that yep. GM responsibility. Yep. Um, cool. So you started going on to Mitchell. How so I actually met Mitchell at Moss. We worked yep. together briefly. Um, it was probably a year or so. I say briefly, but that's it's a pretty long time yeah. to work with somebody uh, and especially in the restaurant industry. Um, uh, he left for another position. Um, I think uh, yeah. a, a restaurant uh, relationship that ended up not working out so well. Yeah. I had sympathy for that situation. Um, I immediately reached out to him because uh, having worked with him on the line, um, anytime there's there's a, a good talent uh, available, you just reach out. Get specific about the talent that he had. Not, I mean, obviously he's a good cook, but what were the other attributes, the other assets he brought to the table? Well, he, you know, he had opened restaurants before, which yeah. was a very attractive thing. I'm, I'd, I'd been thinking about opening a restaurant for a long time, yeah. uh, knowing that it takes a good team um, and wanting to pick his brain maybe a little bit more about the steps involved in opening a restaurant. So uh, where was he strong where you were weak? What were you saying? How, how did he complete you? Um, you know, <laughs> Uh, it makes it sound like a, a romantic novel, um, but it's kind of intended. Yeah, he, uh, you know, I think his um, his experience with the initial organization uh, was really interesting to me. Um, something I didn't have any experience yeah. with. I had always come into these restaurants uh, a year or two after they had been uh, opened, uh, so I felt like I was really good at taking a existing system and refining it, um, and. It was really appealing to me that Mitchell had installed the system. Okay. Uh, and since I didn't have any experience with that, I, I wanted to pick his brain about that. And okay. when we got to talking about um, business and, and starting our own place, um, immediately, it was just what were the natural. lessons that you learned about business? We're just having this oh. conversation. Oh. Me drop one. Yeah, on. just just all the details. Okay. Um, you know, uh, all were some the details things that, that you didn't recognize that he brought to your attention. All the things that you you take for granted in a space, like ordering spatulas. Yeah. You know, it, it sounds so trivial, but uh, it's it, it's until you go and and reach for your spatula and it's not there. Yeah. Like, well, who's responsible for ordering spatulas? Well, you are. Yeah, You're so responsible what, for everything. What's, what's the system there to make sure that you don't overlook those things? How yeah, do you build that in? You know, you, you, you really have to be detail oriented and, um, and go through and pour over the entire list and make that list. And so what um, do you mean? So this list, describe this list to me, like a list of everything that you need in that business to yeah. do the job. Yeah. And how yeah. often do you go over it? Oh, I mean, for the initial one, you, you probably go over it three or four times just to make sure you didn't miss anything. Okay. Um, and since he had, he had that experience, he, he knew to look for those things, that was very valuable. Okay. Um, you mentioned quickly that you were really good at taking systems and improving them. Give me an example of how you do that. So, yeah, looking for inefficiency uh, in, in a system, being able to see the big picture, all the, all the moving parts, and figure out where the bottlenecks are, mm-hmm. and, then, and then devising a strategy to alleviate that as a bottleneck. So I think, I mean, many of us will always think we have a, a way to make things better, but we're not willing to, to share it because of the culture. People aren't always receptive to suggestions being changed or like suggestive changes. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you do to make sure that, uh, that doesn't happen where people can make suggestions or yeah, th- how did you circumnavigate making those suggestions without pissing anybody off? Yeah. I think that that goes back to uh, what I think I initially touched on uh, with community and conflict resolution, being able to listen to somebody, uh, be able to present an idea in a constructive way yep. um, to maybe get them to, to <laughs> really consider, rock out there, yeah, <laughs> consider alternatives. I'm loving it. It's not bothering me. I just think it's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you gotta, you gotta, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Base makes you prep faster. I guess so. And they must be moving really fast back then. <laughs> yeah, sir. Um, so keep going. Um, so yeah, being um, 
being careful on how you frame certain ideas uh, yeah. and, and listening to somebody's uh, reaction, um, honestly, um, and, and hopefully being able to present it in a way that uh, keeps them open to, to new ideas. Um, and, you know, when they're not, uh, being able to, to work through it together, I think, is, is really, really important. Awesome. Um, you know, uh, yeah. Sweet. Um, so I also want to tap on, uh, so you, you brought this team together. Uh, take us through the story of actually getting this opportunity uh, to open this restaurant. And I, I love the story behind it. You told me briefly during the tour last week. Oh, with the, with the, the Prime 109? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Actually, so, shoot. We, we, there's that. I totally missed over, skipped over the whole bringing together uh, this um, – the, the team that you have currently with yeah the we Lambo. still yeah we still have we still have Shelly and, and Ian um, Ian was a that's right a, 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 a chef at uh, Latois in town and now he uh, young guy uh, right out of culinary school uh, moved to Charlottesville with his um, his future wife at the time um, uh, to be closer to her family uh, and they kind of compromised in Charlottesville you know for the distance yep. uh, in relation to, to family. And, uh, you know, I, I went in there for brunch one time and I sat down, we ordered brunch and the eggs come out perfect. Uh, and <laughs> <laughs> that's a little thing that, uh, will kind of send, they? uh, they were poached eggs, which is, you know, or so what's a, I'm just curious. What's a, what's a, a perfect, perfect, a perfect poached a, egg, a soft white and, and a perfectly runny yolk. Um, it's a rare thing to get a perfect <laughs> egg and it sounds like a little thing, but, um, I remember thinking at the time, like, wow, it's, it's awesome to be able to go out and get a perfect egg. Yeah. I went back, introduced myself to Ian. We talked for a bit. Uh, he ended up coming into Tavola and having a meal and then we went back and forth a few times. Yeah. Um, eventually it got to the point where we were looking for help at, at Tavola and, uh, I, I made the pitch. I was like, Hey man, I know you're, you know, you're currently a chef in your own restaurant, but what I guess you know he was executive chef. Yeah, um, would you be interested in maybe taking on a lesser role? Um, do more food up your alley. Yeah, and, and you were the executive chef at this one. We didn't even talked about. Yeah, yeah, I, promoted. I had promoted from sous chef to executive chef. Okay. at, at Tavola, and Michael had taken uh, a step back uh, to be more of just the owner. He was still working a couple nights a week. Got you. Um, but uh, Ian, Ian jumped at it, which was awesome. Um, and that kind of humility, uh, being able to say, you know what, uh, even though I'm an executive chef now, I can come in as a, a, a sous chef or a chef de cuisine and, and do uh, a cuisine that's maybe better suited to my skill set yeah. and work with a, a crew that um, really appreciates it yeah. and not have to shoulder all the responsibility is a, is a um, positive move, yeah. uh, which I, I really respected out of him because a lot of people wouldn't have the humility to recognize that and take that step back. The other thing that I want to commend you on is having the emotional intelligence to recognize that this person has the skill and at the same time, just being around them, being uh, present with them, knowing that they aren't fully happy where they are. And, uh, you you know, you you hate to use the word stealing people in this industry, but you were receptive to where that person was and where they wanted to be and you provided them an opportunity and you went out, you didn't wait for it to happen. You got to put it out into the universe. You got to like, you got to plant seeds. You got to let it, you got to open up these channels of potential. Uh, and that's one thing I love about what you do is you you go out and you open up these channels of potential, uh, which comes back up again later with the Primo Nine, but we won't get there quite yet. Yeah, but, we're on our way. We'll, yeah, yeah, we'll get there close. Uh, so Shelly uh, Rob, um, uh, very similar experience. I'd worked with her briefly at, yeah. at Moss, um, 
as a server. Um, she was then a uh, manager at uh, a restaurant for a long time. And she was unhappy with her experience there okay. and I think ready to move on. I think, you know, you kind of reach a point where um, just a change of scenery yeah. uh, is, is needed. Um, so we brought her on to Tavola um, and, you know, instant instant uh, familiarity and comfort level working with her. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah, at that point we had all the, the pieces in place. So one question I didn't ask you about uh, Ian and uh, Shelly were – there uh what did Ann bring to the table what, were you, what did he have that you were missing he's young passionate uh his palate is is one of the most um impressive that i've ever encountered and it, it seems kind of weird to talk about somebody's palate as a <laughs> as a a, fe- a feature or a skill you know um skill package skill set um but uh he comes up with these creative and amazing flavor combinations that i would never in a million years uh, dream of just that creativity yeah just yeah. so creative and 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 willing to just kind of risk it all for a dish you know yeah. and and sometimes it works and sometimes yeah. it doesn't but, uh, but at least, know he's, yeah, at least he out. tries and yeah. uh that's not my food my food is is much more rustic uh, and simple and in and i'm not saying his isn't ingredient driven but um mine's almost too simple mm-hmm. where his is a lot more creative mm-hmm. and uh, a lot more expressive yeah and i think um you know all of us together uh, end up in a really great balancing point you okay. know, where we can kind of push the envelope and still make things familiar and comfortable for people. Okay. What, was the, what was the skill level, the, the skill set, the strengths that, that appealed to you most regarding Shelly? Um, so organized, um, a great uh, manager um, um, of, of personalities um, and really calm under pressure. I mean, it's one of the it's one of the hardest positions in any restaurant mm-hmm. is being that floor manager who can give me an example. Go diver in that because I think that's a huge lesson and use her as an example of when she's able to keep her cool and uh, why that's so important. Well, I mean, the very nature of it all. I mean, we have uh, diners coming in who are hungry and and more often than not impatient. Yeah, uh, you know, they just want to sit down and eat uh, and being able to balance people's uh, expectations. Uh, with the reality of, hey, you're in a popular restaurant, you might have to wait mm-hmm. a couple hours yeah. for a table. So what's Nobody her, wants to hear that. What's her approach? How does she, how does she do it so well? Uh, that, you know, that would be a question for Shelly, honestly. Yeah. But watching her do it, watching her make um, uh, the connection with a customer and, and kind of let them down gently mm. and, and still keep them interested yeah. so that they come back. Um, all at the same time of coming back in the kitchen and saying, hey, I need this, 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 and this. Uh, now, uh, being able to balance those two uh, roles seamlessly mm-hmm. is is really impressive. I think it, honestly, what it comes down to, it's as simple as in, as hard as giving an F. Because when you genuinely yeah. give an F, that you have to give somebody bad news, that you're genuinely on their side, yeah. uh, and they can sense that, that you're on their side and that you authentically are like torn up. You're like shit. Like yeah. I can't. Like it's going to be a little bit of weight. But, but if it's, it's genuine. It sells itself, and it's also it's not it's not conceding anything to them. There, yeah, you know she she's tough on people too, but they they appreciate it. Yeah, um, uh, she's she's it's amazing. Stern. It's, yeah, it's, it's gentle yeah. sternness. Yeah, 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 yeah. She's she's fantastic at it, and um, um, also very detail oriented, very organized in all the back of the uh, behind the scenes stuff. Um, you know, managing payroll and scheduling and she's um, incredibly organized, okay. um, which is, which is really nice. Um, so take us through um, the, the catalyst, the, the, the starting point of Lampo coming to be. 
So um, originally, I had talked to Michael uh, Kevney, the owner of of Tavola, about opening a pizza place. Uh, we didn't have Neapolitan pizza in Charlottesville. Um, we had plenty of other pizza places. Mm-hmm. Every city does, but we were making you know pilgrimages. I'll call them to DC to eat good Neapolitan pizza. Yeah. We were going to two Amy's. Um, we went up to Edo. Um, which was uh, started me was the all five of you yeah all of us okay. uh, you know whether we went up together or we went up separately and we always talk about it um, but I'm gonna two, stand up because my butt hurts <laughs> do you um, but two Amy's <laughs> was really the inspiration for Lampo okay. because it it provided something that we just hadn't had in our region before okay you know? so being able to go up there experience this amazing pizza and think man we really need something like that in charlottesville and then light bulb so this com- that. yeah so that you're having this conversation with mike the owner of la uh, tavola mm-hmm. uh and you're came, getting the creative juices flowing about branching out with the restaurant group to do your own thing and you the five of you or maybe like the founding fathers of this new concept underneath this restaurant group mm-hmm. um ultimately mike didn't bite why didn't you think he bite well or, or we bit? i had gotten the sense from him that he was more comfortable with this one i mean he he had a family uh, yeah. to take care of and yeah. it's a lot of risk yeah um and not to say that he was uncomfortable with it. Obviously, he was comfortable with starting a restaurant. Yeah, but um, taking on more. Yeah, I think it was it was probably a little bit much at the time. Yeah, so the um, time it just wasn't right. To yeah, and we were, we were younger and you know uh, maybe less to lose. Okay, uh, so wanted to kind of jump on it as soon as possible. Okay, so how did this opportunity? Um, so at what point did you realize it wasn't going to happen with Mike? Uh, I'm not sure if there was a you know a definitive point. Yeah, um, it was more that our conversation started. Uh, you know, once we found the location, uh, which was still in Belmont, um, really close to the other two restaurants that we know were huge sources of inspiration for us, um, it just made sense. Yeah. So you had this opening uh, where uh, Lampo is today. Uh, you found out that the one restaurant was going out of business or something like that. Yeah, it was a little. It was a little convenience store and local convenience store. Okay. Um, and in a cool old like shoebox of a building, which really are right now. Yeah. Yeah. Really, uh, harkens back to what, uh, pizzerias are in Naples, which are like hole in the wall ovens. Yeah. And that's it. It, And you know, and you might see five people in there, but pizzas is meant to be a carried fast food. Yeah. You know, they fold it into quarters and, and eat it wrapped up in newspaper. Uh, or, you know, if you're lucky enough to sit down with a plate and a fork and knife, that's, that's how they do it. So um, this opportunity comes, uh, this business goes out. I mean, at this point, were you searching for locations or did it just kind of like you saw the opportunity and you turned to your peers and said, do you want to do this? I say say this all the time and it it kind of runs into the genesis of Prime 109. I think, at least in my experience, every chef has a million concepts Mm -hmm. that they want to see um, taken to the next level. Yeah. Um, And I'm such a huge believer of marrying those concepts to the location. Right. So uh, while we were thinking about the, the concept, the location popped up and it just it was such a natural fit mm-hmm. uh, that it just had to happen. Um, but at any given time, I mean, maybe four or five other concepts bouncing around my head. Um, and if the right location opens up and the timing's right, then mm-hmm. then you try to make something yeah. out of it. So this op- this location opens up. You turn to your colleagues and you say, let's, let's pull the trigger on this. And you just go, how much time did it take you to recognize the location was here to getting every uh, five or all four additional business partners on board? Let's see. We looked at the location in February, I'm going to say. Yeah. Um, we signed a lease in April and then we opened in December. Wow. So pretty quick turnaround. 
uh, so all things considered. February, April, and then the build out and the learning process took almost a year. We didn't we didn't leave our our last day at Tavola as a as a group was uh, August. Okay, so we we so gave were together. Um, that's I was going to ask. I was wondering what this what this trans- transition was like because you're taking five of the top players in this restaurant and sucking them out. I mean, I can only imagine what that would have been like for Mike. Yeah. Uh, that yeah, must have been a, a hit. It was a tough conversation to have. Um, and that's why, um, both he and his wife, Tammy being so supportive of what we wanted to do was, was really amazing. Um, at what and, point did you tell them what you were doing, what your plans were? No, we, we told them early in the process, I'd say in like June, I'd say, um, you know, we had we had tried to secure financing, and so two months after we had signed the lease already. Signed the lease. Okay. Yeah, um, but we wanted to give them plenty of time to train up our replacements, yeah, find and, the right people. And, and you were there until what? When did you leave? September. September. So that's uh, April, May, June, July, August. That's four months notice. We um, gave we gave a little over two months total notice. Okay. Um, and and then we're involved in the interview and hiring of our replacements. Okay. And, and training. And there's a key lesson here, though, because at the end of the day, you're you're st- you're still in this community with them. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and they they did give you 4 years of opportunities and knowledge and advice and mentorship and lessons that you pull from them. And uh, how did they handle it? Is there a lesson from how they handled yeah, it? Yeah, I mean, like, from this? yeah, they they were amazing about it. Yeah. Um and I even now and I think about um you know, we've been very fortunate at Lampo to not uh have a lot of attrition. Um, but if somebody does give you notice, uh, being supportive of them, yeah. I mean, cause it, it, a, it may come back around at any given time. Yeah. Um, and knowing that you gave somebody the skill set to take it to the next level, uh, the next step for them the is, is awesome. Yeah. It's a, it's a huge compliment. Yeah. Um, and, and that's what, uh, Michael and, and Tammy told us, uh, at the time, you know, like, you know, yeah, we were shocked. Yeah. We're honestly a little disappointed because no we tires were slashed <laughs> no tires were slashed much much smoother transition okay. out than uh some other transitions uh in our in our okay. in our past um, um but yeah i think i think um the way they handled it and the way they kept us involved in the um the hiring process for our replacements was uh inspirational well, and, why not keep you involved because at the end of the day you're only making their lives easier why sure. why why bring bad feelings into the mix if well it's not, but it's still it you can't help anybody. it i think that's a i think that in most cases there's an emotional reaction there yeah. to just be like oh yeah you went out just get out yeah but in your um, defense you also went to them with the idea too and you gave them that opportunity to yeah we had, we had talked about it for yeah. a couple years beforehand and you know whether or not um yeah, it, it just it wasn't happening yeah. at the speed which we needed it to happen for our for our personal goals. Okay, so uh, five owners, new restaurant. Uh, what'd you do wrong? A lot. Okay, what's <laughs> a one, lot? Like one or two things you can drop on us that you can help prevent somebody else making. Um, let's see. Um, always, always have a bigger capital nest egg than you think. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to cost more money. It's going to take more time. Yep. Even though we felt like from September to December is a pretty quick build out and opening. It was longer than we had hoped it would be. And far, we spent more money than we had hoped to so get open. As far as pr- uh, having better projected uh, budgets, what about actually the process of opening uh, order of operation or things of that nature? Yeah. Familiarize yourself with all those things. Contact the health department first, get, you know, seek their, um, what's the order knowing what you know now doing the, going through this project you're going through now and opening prime one Oh nine. What's the order of operation that you would suggest taking? Yeah. Um, let's see. Order of operation for, for us is, is, um, 
getting the health department involved, getting an architect mm-hmm. and designer involved and engineers. The first time you didn't have that. We had an architect. architect. We had an architect and she's been fantastic. She's also the architect for the Prime 109 project. Okay. Um, but Lampo was so much smaller mm-hmm. um, than, than what we're doing with Prime that they're, they're different. Yeah. Um, you know, it's in the, a, in it's the future. It's a piece of an operation over there. I can only with, imagine what you got on your table. Yeah, with something that size, I say get an architect involved, get engineers involved, and then get the health department involved. Yeah. Um, with, with Prime, uh, oh, sorry, with Lampo, uh, it was enough to have the architect draw up plans and then take them to the health department mm-hmm. um, and say, hey, this is what we want to do. Is that feasible? Um, keeping them engaged in the process, uh, I think there's... Uh, and unfortunately, the, the health department, okay. um, they, you know, they're the ones who are going to give you permission. They're going to gonna turn this. your world upside down if right. you don't keep them involved. Right. And keep them involved. Be open with them. You know, say, hey, this is what we want to do. Do you think that'll work? What can we be doing better? Um, how can we make this a, a smoother operation? It's only going to save you money. You want to make that the best relationship possible. Yeah. And, and, and unfortunately, I think in the restaurant industry, there's this us versus them mentality with mm-hmm. the health department sometimes because they come in, they pick apart everything you're doing, and it's hard to not take that personally sometimes. Yeah. But at the end of the day, they have public safety in mind. Yeah. Um, and, and we need to be receptive to that. We yeah. need to be understanding of that. And we need to make sure that we're engaging them and saying, hey, this is... Uh, we want to be doing things the right way. We have a lot of experience. We, you know, if you take serve safe classes, you know all the dangers. Um, you know, express that to them and say, hey, this is this. These are the things that we're doing preemptively to make it a safe yeah. operation. They'll respect it and they'll help you. So hit me with that order of operation one more time. So uh, number one, architect, okay. get plans. Number two, get engineers, sign off on those plans, <laughs> make sure <Yeah>. they're realistic. <laughs> Three, get the health department involved and make sure that the the your um, your pattern of you need to come production. with them to them with the plan. Yeah, you something. Yeah, you need and and but then be receptive to things that need to change. Yeah, and then go back to the, the and then yeah, yeah, go back and forth and back <laughs> yeah. and forth and uh, you got to be one? you got to be flexible. Um, well, and then and then it's the actual the build out. Okay. Um, you know, and um, the budgeting, the the pro forma, all those things uh, are their own little battle that you have to figure yeah. out um, and compartmentalize it break it down divide responsibilities between all the all the partners or mm-hmm. all the managers um you can't do it all yourself mm-hmm. you, you have you'll five drive, partners that's the right. cool thing about having five partners is you might not be making as much at the end of the day but what you what you save is a lot of headache and a lot of you get a lot of support and yeah. you, you can identify those lanes you can lean on each other and you can make more of an impact ultimately when you have all those people with those those specific skill sets yeah. doing what they do best yeah a variety of skill sets is key and having people that you trust is key um, and being able to count on people to uh, accomplish their individual sphere of responsibility yeah. um, is is really it. What, it's what makes the whole operation move forward. So one question I meant to ask earlier and I kind of forgot because I got distracted with your good advice. Um, how did you convince these four people to take the pay cut to go do something? Like how 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 did you? What was the selling point? How did you finally pull this together? Let's see for for Lampo. Yeah, um, yeah. It was you know I think Mitchell uh, was involved uh, was gung ho pretty early. He yeah. wanted to open a restaurant. Yeah. Um, Andrew was was very interested. Again, it was I think more he needed a change of scenery. Obviously, mm-hmm. ownership is the next step. Um, and um, both Shelley and Ian, um, I think. Uh, Ian Ian was interested in in doing other things yeah. too. And I think one of the things that we um, I don't want to say sold to him, but, you know, tried to express our vision uh, was like, listen, 
we'll divide up uh, the responsibilities. And then once we get this new place open, we'll open other places. Uh, so we can, we can explore lots of different types of mm-hmm. cuisine uh, and keep you engaged. And, um, you know, the proof is in the pudding. So the part of that, too, is knowing your, knowing your audience. For you, you knew in his, his uh, passion was that creative, that creative side and that if he was truly going to be happy, he needed that creative outlet, that, that ability to get to, like, to, to hit one topic and then move on to the next and to keep that desire, to keep that, that hunger for creativity fed. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and a huge thing that, uh, or a huge part of his, uh, passion for cooking is, is in the realm of charcuterie and, and meat fabrication, yeah. uh, which we weren't doing a whole lot of yeah. at Tavla and we're not doing a whole lot of here. So, uh, to be able to, um, kind of keep that ball rolling and, and roll it into the prime one and nine project. So it sounds like you're playing to their interests. You're playing yeah, absolutely. To, to their interests, what they want to do in relating this opportunity to feed those interests. What was Shelly's interest? So Shelly, I think again, um, was looking for the next step, uh, and to, uh, continue to progress in this career path. You, you need to be an owner. Yeah. Offer, offering ownership, uh, I think was, was yeah. the key. So, why five owners? What was going through your mind where you were like five owners is the way to go? Yeah, uh, it was. It, did you so not want to hurt feelings or something? No, or? This is this comes back to conflict resolution and uh, meetings at the at the community um, where uh, a a conflict between three partners is really unhealthy and toxic. Mm-hmm. Um, you're always going to have a situation where two partners are ganging up on one, mm-hmm. and that one person can get very defensive. Even if they need to recognize that they're in the wrong, mm-hmm. they're unlikely to. Yeah. And just human nature. You can't help it. Mm-hmm. You're going to feel like you're getting ganged up on and other people are imposing their will on you. Naturally, yeah. unless you have a really balanced set of relationships, there's always going to be two people that tend to lean in the same direction. Exactly. Exactly. Um, four owners um, is, is, is much easier. Yeah. You, you have... You, you can have two on one side and know that, hey, we've got to keep working on this thing. Yeah. When it's three versus one, then that one person needs to kind of swallow their yeah. pride and realize, you know what? I might be Majority in the wrong rules. here. Yeah. Right. And five, same way. Much easier to resolve conflicts. if it's And we don't do a three versus two. That doesn't get anything done. It really has to be super majority. Five versus one. That's on a good any, rule. So you guys have a rule that unless it's at yeah. least four, majority of a sick, or 80%. Mm-hmm. then nothing gets done. You have to have yeah. that 80% majority. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's all in the operating agreement. And I think that's another key point is really being honest in your operating agreement negotiations. Always have an operating yeah. agreement. Um, it's always nice to have a document to fall back on. Something yeah. that you've all agreed on. So that's, I, I, I'm happy you're going here because I didn't think to go here and you, you brought it here. We kind of talked a little bit about with Mitchell. Like, What, were, what are some key things we need to consider when writing out that, that operations agreement, some things that are often overlooked that shouldn't be overlooked. Yeah. I mean, and this is something that we talked about, uh, you know, obviously we had a great attorney to sit down with all of us so and lesson number one, through. get an attorney, yeah, get, yeah. get a great attorney. Um, and hopefully one that's not going <laughs> to eat up all your budget. Yeah. Um, but it, it pays for itself. Ultimately yeah, it, it really does. And you know, one thing that we had to keep in mind when we're drafting these documents are these aren't for when things are going well. This is this is a document Worst for when scenario. things are going poorly. Yeah. Um, when we're having a major conflict that we can't resolve one on one, and and making sure that hey, when we make these decisions while we're all in the same room and we're feeling good about each other, that these are these are the documents that we're going to fall back on. Mm-hmm. Um, so so really answer them honestly. Don't mm-hmm. don't compromise in those situations. If it's something that you think you're going to have a problem with in the future raise that concern mm-hmm. uh, so you can hash it out then um 
and and that was really key for us. And we, you know, thankfully we haven't had to turn on any yeah. of them yet. What but, are some key concerns that might get overlooked that you should bring to the surface? Oh, you know, uh, we we brought up things like non competes um, and and uh, valuation stuff for you know if somebody needs to leave or so the uh, wants to get to to filter somebody else. Yeah, out if they're not you know carrying their weight, so they don't just like. You know, they can sit on the beach and, you know, take their 20%. Yeah, yeah. Everybody's got to be involved at all times. And we have we have caveats for all that stuff um, in the operating agreement. And, you know, uh, even, it, you know, worst case scenario, say it goes to court, um, you know, the, the person with the most money ends up winning these negotiations mm-hmm. anyway. But just having gone through that process um, lends so much to the conflict. Right? Yeah, so you're exactly. all on the same page. So you've exactly. communicated it. You're mm-hmm. all in agreement. So yep. there's no question left in the future. Yep. Um, all right. So we haven't even talked about prime 109 yet. So any key lessons from, uh, any transformative moments from you as a professional, from the time you opened the doors at Lampo to the time that you decided it was time to, uh, branch out and open another location. So, and, and again, we, we go back to this, you know, everybody's got concepts rattling around in their head. And yeah. I think, um, Ian was, was the Genesis for the, the prime 109 project because he had talked about, uh, dry aged beef so much and doing uh, charcuterie um, and one of the things that kept coming up in um, interactions with local producers and farmers was how inefficient uh, their current system is for getting their products into uh, into people's kitchens so uh, there's this massive amount of inefficiency with um, getting the animals to, to slaughter um, broken down into manageable pieces for the consumer um, and then getting them to consumer, whether it's through a farmer's market or through a restaurant sale. Um, farmers end up stuck with all this uh, extra inventory that takes up freezer space and mm-hmm. obviously space is money. Um, and farmers have it hard enough. You know, being a farmer in, in the modern age yeah. is a really difficult life. Um, and we need to, I'm tempted be, to go deeper in that. Cause I feel like there needs to be like, you like, should, you absolutely, I can give you the names of some amazing farmers to interview while you're yeah, still right. And I think that's, I think it's a huge part of it. Understanding, um, what they're struggling with and, yeah. and trying to, um, alleviate and plus that as much just as being can. held to mass production standards when not, when not everybody wants to mass produce, when, yeah. you know, and, yeah. and it's absurd. Yeah, it really um, is. And, um, you know, uh, after, you know, I, I can't even tell you how many of those conversations I had with local producers. The the light We're totally bulb getting sidetracked right now. Aren't no, we? no, no, no. This is the, I'll, I'll bring it back around. I promise. Um, the light bulb went on. Like, hey, we can we can really um, eliminate a lot of that inefficiency um, by taking control of the whole supply line. Okay. Um, locally, and really, it was a few key pieces all coming together. One having uh, an amazing creative mind like Ian's who wants to do this deep dry age mm-hmm. um you know taking it past 60 90 day wow. dry age which is does that concern you oh it's awesome it's no, exciting it's, but it's, like no it's it's so good and yeah. then once you've had it again it, you're going back to these amazing ingredients once you've experienced it at at 60 days to 90 days you can't go back and eat a regular oh, steak i'm coming back after not, three months of you guys being a business so i can get a 90 age and I'll, I'll fly out here just for a steak i'm doing it um Sorry. so <laughs> so having that in in one corner right um Having having these conversations with farmers uh, and and um, a local abattoir opens up Seven Hills where they're able to process locally. They have a ton of space. They're yeah. willing to to break down to our specifications, right? And then uh, the location um, and when the location kind of finally 
uh, became available. I was actually banking in this place, and they gave me a notice like, "Hey, the branch is closing." Banking in this place was there a pun intended there? No, no, it's a it's a it bank. was a bank. It was a bank, uh, and it was my it was my local bank. And oh, they, when, so when I when I heard you say you were banking, like you're like, oh, like I'm banking on this place, it's going to happen. But you're literally no, banking verb banking <laughs> in <laughs> banking. doing my banking business. Um, and uh, they you know they sent out a, a memo saying, "Hey, the branch is closing," and I was like, "Wow, this." this room is absolutely incredible. Um, we have to get it. Yeah. Uh, so I reached out to a friend of mine in real estate and, um, he reached out to the owner and, uh, long story short, it worked out. Mm -hmm. Um, and then it, it really was like, all right, well now we got all the three pieces. We have this local abattoir who's willing to, um, allow us to basically buy whole animals from the farms, process them and break them down to our specifications. Uh, we have the chef who's passionate about the product and knows how to do it right. So the farmer is processing the animal or is it going to a, a, a place we're, in between? We're essentially buying the animal on the hoof for, okay. uh, from the farmer um, for a, a price that makes them comfortable. Um, so they don't have to worry about the packaging or you know moving all the ground beef and uh, the bones and all the extra ancillary stuff. Um, and then we're paying the processing cost at um, the, the butcher facility at Seven Hills. We're uh, seven hills. That's you guys just recently had a, a meeting there. That's right. You yeah. left last week. Yeah. Um, in Lynchburg, how far away is that from? That's about an hour south of here. So uh, you drive right. Through where's Melbourne the farm? <laughs> uh, we have a few farms um, that we're working with. The idea being um, that we can work with these uh, three farms initially, and then as demand increases, we can reach out to other smaller farmers and uh, or reach out to farmers for. Um, Specialty stuff. If, if they're raising a specific breed, we can bring that in as a, as a special uh, and do different things with it and highlight each one differently. And I think that's really the key here is that we, wanna, we don't want it to just be steak. We want to say, hey, this is this kind of animal. This is how it was raised. It was 100% grass yeah. uh, raised. And, and these are the texture differences. This is how it's going to taste different. It needs to be put on a pedestal. And then even like serving those next to each other. So like you can do like a share or like you have a plate where like you have the same cut from like three different No different animals. than terroir in wine. You're going to be able to experience the differences in different types of animals raised in different conditions. That's cool. Um, and really appreciate them. And that's, I think that's the key is, Which feeds is into that educational element too, of, the, of why we need to go back to doing the things the slow way. Yeah. We need to value them. These are animals with yeah. lives, mm-hmm. you know, and, and don't take it for granted. Um, really appreciate, uh, everything that went into that. We're at an hour and almost 10 minutes right now. Just an FYI. Uh, is I'm there, good. I, okay, keep going. I just want to make sure cause I'm loving the conversation, but I don't want to abuse your time. Um, so as far as the logistics go and the, the, the chain of getting the, the animal from the farm to your plates. Um, it goes from the farm. You, you're purchasing it from the farm whole and who's paying for it to transport to the facility. The, the farmer transports it to the facility for us. Okay. Um, we pay the processing cost. Um, okay. So Seven Hills gets their, their cut because they're amazing at what they do. Yeah. Um, and then we take um, basically whole quarters. Okay. Um, and, and then continue to break them down into usable pieces. Um, and then individual pieces will get aged for additional time. So who's responsible for getting the, um, the, the animal from the processor to your restaurant? Oh, seven hills. Seven, seven hills. hills okay. yeah. yeah. They, they have a delivery service, which is great. Okay. Um, you know, we'll probably, uh, end up making some trips down there yeah. on the fly every yeah. once in a while. Hopefully yeah, yeah. we'll be going through enough product that, yeah. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll have trouble keeping up with the regular delivery schedule. But, um, that network is really key to the whole thing. And again, that wouldn't exist without local 
communication. Okay. You know, without talking to your, the local farmers, wouldn't have known that there's that inefficiency there. Without knowing um, the guys down at Seven Hills, Ryan Ford down at Seven Hills, we wouldn't uh, have known that's even possible yeah. to to buy directly. Yeah. Um, so uh, that those communications yeah. between individuals really so you're, really you're important. not doing this a cheap way, but you're making it as affordable as possible for right. everyone involved by eliminating some of the inefficiency in the in the chain. And to highlight those inefficiencies, so we're aware of, we want to replicate this in our own markets. What's what are those inefficiencies? Go go directly to the source. Okay, yeah. Uh, I don't want to cheat any middlemen out of their their cut, but you know, the, the more direct you can buy these things, going out to farms and talking to farmers and buying directly from farmers, whether it's at a farmers market yeah. or uh, if they're lucky enough to have a shop on their farm, which uh, I know a lot of them try to do, and it's it's really tough. Yeah, because they have to advertise and and then. You know, people have to go the extra mile. You can't just go to the supermarket and get this stuff. Yeah. Um, but being willing to to put in that little extra effort on your end yeah. to go out to the farm and um, and buy directly so makes a huge difference. I'm curious, and I'm sure the answer is extremely obvious, but I, your your knowledge level is much deeper on this topic than mine. Uh, what's stopping you from going to somebody like a butchery? You guys have a butcher right downtown, mm-hmm. uh, independent operation. Why why wouldn't that operation be able to process? Animals. Is this a licensing issue? Well, yeah, there's, there's, uh, they have to buy from a, a certified uh, processor as well. Mm-hmm. And there, there are all kinds of yeah. regulations yeah. Uh, put in place to really keep the smaller businesses out of the. When I understand um, why they did game. that, because at one point, um, it, with the, the broken food model, if these smaller players were, you know, not operating to code to standard, and it's so much harder to regulate on a smaller level. Um, then you can hurt a lot of people. You know, you can get a sure. lot of people sure. sick, and it makes sure. sense. There, there, there are there are definitely legitimate uh, reasons for some of the regulations. But the world we live in today is in the same world back then. I feel no. like the systems and technology we have to process, to track, to educate are much better. So why aren't we making changes? Right. Well, there are, obviously there are interests in keeping yeah. things uh, exclusive to certain businesses. So how do we change that? Uh, that is that is a great question, and I think um, through through social media, through um, modern communication. Um, we are going to be able to change those things. And we see it with our political systems. We see it with, with these systems. And yeah. unfortunately, politics is deeply involved in, in uh, some of these uh, food regulations, and not all of them make sense. Yeah. Um, so you know, the thing is, at the end of the day, the beautiful thing about a capitalistic market is that if we educate people and we share enough knowledge, at the end of the day, the consumer decides yeah. with their money. Yeah. So yeah. we need to educate people. We need to share knowledge and uh, we can change things. And I, this is just a little, uh, I mean, this podcast is in no way making a big dent, but I hope this little bit helps, you know? <laughs> yeah. And if it, yeah, if it inspires somebody to ask those questions yeah. and, and dive a little deeper, then you're absolutely making Sweet. a huge impact. Right. So. Well, cool. I hope so. Anything we haven't touched on up to this point, um, that you were hoping we would discuss or any more value that you, you know, you can drop on us before moving on. <laughs> um, I, I, I don't know. I'll see where the conversation goes, but uh, yeah, it's been fantastic so far. <laughs> it's been a lot of fun. You've been great. I think we're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors and we'll be right back. All right. I have a question for you. How can an anonymous employee reporting program be a profit center for your restaurant? Hmm. Well, for starters, fraud alone represents a staggering loss to the restaurant industry with an estimated 40 billion in losses in the U 
US in 2017 alone. And this does not include the losses and costs associated with the more than 540,000 calls made to the US EEOC in 2017, resulting in millions of dollars in penalties and legal costs for restaurant owners and investigators related to claims of harassment and discrimination. So do I have your attention? Good, because there's more. Employee tip-offs about misconduct continue to be the most common method for detection and prevention, but employees are often deterred from reporting their concerns directly to supervisors because they're afraid that there's going to be retaliation or they might lose their job or something, and I get it. But with Ethics Suites Anonymous and web-based RestaurantEthics.com, you can provide a safe, secure, simple, and anonymous communication channel between you and your employees to help protect your hard-earned reputation and assets. Go to EthicsSuites.com slash restaurant unstoppable and you'll get three additional months so for the cost of 12 months you'll get 15 months or head over to the show notes and find the banner and you can use the link there we're back and the first question i have for you is what is your it factor habit a trait a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success uh looking introspectively i think i'm i'm pretty good on the fly um with strategy and being able to adapt yeah. uh, under pressure i think it's what makes me a good line cook and it, it makes me uh adaptable in business and you i got it i'm, I'm gonna give you an hit factor man building teams i think that is one thing that is such a crucial skill set to know when to get the f out of the way and surround yourself with other people because you can't do it alone um and you're only as good as the people you surround yourself with and it seems like you've really tapped into that um, what is your biggest weakness? Uh, I'd say trying to do it all alone sometimes. <laughs> uh, it's taken a lot of work for yeah. me to be comfortable uh, delegating. Um, I, I tend to be a little um, obsessive about certain I things. I have to admit that I'm really surprised you're taking on the GM role of this, this build out. Uh, <laughs> to me, in my mind, I would not be able to handle that. and It makes my brain hurt. But you seem to be doing a great job, but I'm really surprised that you're taking that on. Do you regret it? Uh, I don't regret it. Again, <laughs> uh, I, I don't know if I would feel comfortable with somebody else doing it. Yeah. Um, so when you know, when there are mistakes, I only have myself to blame. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that that helps. Um, but yeah, it's, it's being involved in a million different things at once. I feel like I do pretty well in those situations. So I've got to ask: um, Do you? There, has there been a point up to or up to this point um, with this project? Have you wished that you outsourced the general? contractor role is there anything that you missed well, we, that you would have not maybe have missed if, with uh, somebody with more experience no I, I mean i look at myself as as more of a liaison between the restaurant group and the the, the general contractor we do have a general contractor okay, okay. but, but um <laughs> you know uh, we have a lot of subcontractors that we contracted with directly okay um so you know i'd look at the general contractor as yet another sub you know they know how to manage their teams yeah um they still we still have a relationship um, but yeah, we've, we've subcontracted a lot of the key okay. components. What's one question you ask or thing you look for when you're building your team? Um, passion and, and, and authenticity. Mm-hmm. How do you get at those two variables? Those, those are things that, you know, they're, they just come out naturally mm-hmm. and it's, and it's through personal interaction. You know, you, you know, when somebody's being authentic, yeah. uh, and if they're, and they're really passionate for it, they can't hide it. Yeah. Um, so when those jump out at you, um, highlighting them as much yeah. as possible. There's another question. This isn't a standard question, but you mentioned you, you mentioned it earlier. We didn't get a chance to get to talk about it. I had hoped we would, and I forgot to ask. So I'm just gonna ask now. Your retention rate is incredible. Um, what is it about your team that you think has? I mean, in a time where tra- it's such a transient industry, and the, the the biggest pain point is people leaving constantly. Mm-hmm. How many people have are a part of your original team that are still here today? 
Oh, over 90%. I mean, I'd have to go through person by person. Yeah. um, You know, we've been really fortunate. I think a huge part of that is is kind of the open source business model, being honest about things that people are generally uncomfortable about, like, say, um, salary and wages. Uh, Those end up being like these taboo subjects to talk about. I'm a a huge believer in being open about Mm -hmm. that stuff. Um, because that's the only way anybody gets more, Yeah, you know, um, be open about the wages. Hey, like I'm, you know, this is how much you're going to make. Um, I promise you that if you stick around and you excel, we're going to pay you more. Um, we give periodic raises rather than, um, uh, waiting for somebody to be unhappy and ask for a raise. I think that's a really you, big part of it. How do you track that? Do you do like, um, every six months we sit down and, and do a, a, like a review and that sounds kind of corporate, but it's, it's, it's more necessary. like an, open conversation with somebody like hey i'm going to give you i'm going to give you a bump uh, in salary now um this is what you were making last year you know minimum three yeah. percent to keep up with inflation no I, I gotta put somebody on your radar and um she was just on the show and we were talking about a grading system and this this thing like we spend our whole lives going through the school system where we're used to knowing where we are we we're getting graded uh here are the expectations and here's where i'm falling but we don't do that in the workplace we don't people don't know where they're falling as far as your expectation sure so if you have that you know, every three months or every six months of uh, here's where you are, here's where we expect you to be, here's where you could be, and here's where where we are. Given the other thing too, you're also you're also able to identify that these are your strengths. We're grading you on these things. This this is the curriculum or the um, the I don't know what the word would be uh, the standards. And now we're able to really specifically spot your your strengths and your weaknesses because we've created a structure around it. Yeah. So you're only doing that. You know, you're helping these other people find their lane, which yep. is so valuable. Sorry. Yeah. I know. I 100 percent agree. And I, and I think having those honest conversations with employees is really really important. Yeah. Martha uh, Martha Lucius was the the name. Um. She actually I think she has a, a process for that. If you guys don't have anything yet, if you're listening to this, let me know. I'll uh, introduce you to Martha, and she can hook you up with that process. All right. The next question is, uh, I forgot where we left off. Oh, yeah, that's right. The How you find people for your team. Um, what is your biggest challenge today? The biggest challenge now um, in a current project or just in, in, in life, I think, is, is staying focused and staying... Um, um, energetic, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the opening a restaurant is one of the most draining things, uh, both physically and emotionally. Um, and still staying that, you know, all at the end of the day, all it's driving that is your passion yeah. for it. Uh, and, and, you know, reassuring yourself that you're on the right path and you're doing things the right way. Uh, really goes a long way. Uh, so staying positive. So how are you staying mindful of your, your, your energy level? Um, you know, taking, taking time and, and forcing yourself to take, take a break every once in a while and, uh, and get good rest and, and just check in with yourself. Like yeah. The power of meditation, yeah. And, right? And yeah. And, and, take a and, step and back and where am I, where do I need to be? And, and being conscious of, of what recharges you, you yeah. know, whether it's, whether it's, you know, um, being a little more sedentary in your, in your day to day or, or going out and working out because you know that that gives you the energy to, to kind of, uh, tackle the next thing, mm-hmm. being mindful and being honest with yourself mm-hmm. about what really recharges you. Uh, and and being a little selfish sometimes and saying, hey, I gotta I gotta take this me time. Okay. Uh, otherwise, I, I won't be productive. Share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team. This is a, a value, a core value, a way to be. Yeah, just respect each other. Mm-hmm. Um, um, listen, listen, and respect each other. What's one uncommon standard of service you teach your team? This is something that's standard within your four walls, not standard within the industry. Yeah, and I, I'd say that it goes back to the open source. Um, everybody has a voice here. Um, we want to listen to everybody. Um, you know, they might, we not, might not always um, 
act on those things. Yeah. But we're, we're listening. We're here. We'll give you a reason why we don't move in that direction um, as a group if, mm-hmm. if it doesn't make sense. That's interesting. This question, when most people hear it, they assume I'm talking about service to the guests. Oh, no. I'm talking about employees. Which is really cool. That, that It just goes to show that mindset that you have that it's, a, it's the employee first, which is a point worth pointing out. Uh, yeah, I, I, honestly, I didn't even think about it until <laughs> yeah, you said it. So but yeah, no, and I think the customers end up feeding off that too. Mm-hmm. I mean, they see the comfort level Absolutely. that we have in the business, 100%. It, it, um, it, and they identify with it. It transfers so. for sure. There's no doubt. Uh, what's one book that's a must read to make you a better person or restaurant owner? I'm going to say the Tao Te Ching. Um, it's one that I've read um, periodically throughout my entire life, and every time I read it, uh, it ends up shedding uh, new light into different problems or challenges that i'm facing can you say that um, one more time the Tao Te Ching. how do you spell that oh uh, uh <laughs> t-a-o um t-e just making it uh, easier for me c-h-i-n-g <laughs> so it's it is the the writings of lao tzu uh chinese philosopher okay. um you know taking some principles from the I Ching, which is the way of change um and understanding cyclical nature of change in our environment mm-hmm. um it's a I mean, entire religion based around it yeah. and Taoism. um but it, it is a philosophy, and I think it's a really important one to keep in mind. It helps you keep you centered. helps you be mindful of uh, not all change is bad. You know, sometimes it's just leading into the next thing. So Growth only comes with change. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. these are these are all principles that are, are well covered in yeah. the judging and, and really important. I'm pretty sure that, uh, now that you mentioned I think that's on Audible. So if you head over to audibletrials.com slash unstoppable and you do not have an Audible membership yet, you can get that book for free. And audiobooks will change your life. They've changed my life. I had never read at anywhere near the level of books i'm reading now because of audible do you listen to audio books oh absolutely it's incredible yeah. um all right share an online resource or tool that you leverage either gain access to different knowledge out there or to just make yourself more efficient personally. well um well chef steps obviously an awesome website yeah. and a resource um but if i Ask if i had, the show if i had if i had to pick any one uh website to or resource it would be reddit i mean just again open communal forum yep. uh for bouncing ideas you can find almost anything on there is there a restaurant owner section there oh yeah absolutely I should probably be yeah, more there, active on that there's so there's so many and you know any any niche uh that you need uh answers on you can you i guarantee you can go to the reddit sub forum and and find at least a discussion cool. about the question you've got all right, the, almost at the end. The finish line is insight. What's one piece of technology you've adopted within your four walls that hasn't had a positive influence on like just operations, efficiency, communication, profitability? Anything that you're excited to share with us, front of house or back of house? Well, let's see. Back of the house um, scales, uh, converting everything to weights. Uh, it was a big step for for my personal culinary career. Um, that happened pretty early on, and it's, it's one. It's something I'll never go back on. Ratios between weights, all, yeah. converting all your recipes to weights, and, and yeah, and and yeah, we should all be on the metric system. Yeah, the, I know that's blasphemy right system. after yeah, right <laughs> after uh, the Fourth of July, but strange you know, how people should, in the how easy that transfer. Yeah, it's amazing. We should uh, stay away from that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that that was a huge impact, and then and now iPads, mm-hmm. um, being able to uh, live update all your recipes. Uh, and Is there have a, order guides. tool you're using specifically to um, do that? You know, we were using Pepper Plate for a long time. It was a free app um, to track recipes. Um, there, there are lots of other ones. Google Docs, just being able to have uh, shared documents that everybody yep. can access at any time and live update them. It's, it's amazing. I think Mitchell mentioned you guys were making. You want to? You're considering Chef Steps? Yeah, yeah. What was it about Chef Steps that really appealed to you guys? Uh, just, again, just the. Um, Is it Chef Steps? No, it's no, um, uh, Chef Tech. Yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know. 
I'll have the link in the show notes. We'll figure it out in the mean in the interim. Um, all right. So the next question is the last one. It's a doozy. You ready for it? If you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work, and your restaurant would be lost with your departure with the exception of three pieces of wisdom. Three things you know to be true about your success and what it takes to make it in this industry. And for your legacy, what would those three things be? Wow. Uh, yeah, that's a, that is a doozy. You're not kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mess around. Yeah, no. Um, you know, if, if we're talking legacy, I'd, I'd, want, I'd want people to remember the, the sense of community and uh, look back on... Um, what we were able to create, um, as far as, as personal networks, uh, sense in the of restaurant. Yeah. Sense of community. Number one, yep. um, to, uh, honesty and integrity. Um, didn't try to get over on anybody, uh, presented things as they are, uh, for better or worse. Um, and, and three, uh, hopefully <laughs> a sense of humility mm. and, um, and not being uh, too good for anyone, anything. Beautiful. Chef, this has been a great time. Thank you so much for sharing your, your knowledge, your mentorship, your uh, just positive energy, your, your your openness. We wrap up every conversation by calling somebody out. So who's one independent restaurant operator? Maybe somebody in Richmond you're close with because uh, i got four more days over there. Um, call well, them out. Yeah, well, Ed Vasio, uh, who owns uh, Edo Squid and Mama Zoo's, uh, Eight and a Half Dinamo, he's he was a huge inspiration to us. Uh, he was an inspiration to Tomas before he opened up Mas Tapas. Yeah. Um, he's a great guy. He comes in uh, when he's coming through Charlottesville. Um, incredible. I heard he's uh, a tough guy to get a hold of. He's a tough dude to get a hold of. <laughs> but uh, he is, he is a, a, a brilliant mind and a, a passionate uh, culinary talent. And if you, can, if you can get a hold of him, you should, you should definitely try it because he's awesome. Beautiful. And uh, why don't you let the folks at home know if they're listening to this and they want to follow your work, they want to maybe come join your team, you're going to be hiring real soon. Uh, what's the best way to connect? Uh, honestly, the best way to connect is, is if you're not in Charlottesville, um, you know, if you're in Charlottesville, come by the restaurant, say hi, introduce yourself. We always have open kitchens. Uh, and, and all our restaurants moving forward will have open kitchens so you can you can just you know connect with the chef um, but email us email us at lampo at lampopizza.com say hi um, we'll we'll do our best nice. to respond and social if, handles I'm pretty sure I know them uh, lampo underscore pizza and prime 109 Seville yep and that just goes to show you how interested I am in this restaurant group and I've been following them. They're doing great stuff. Uh, again, Chef Lauren, thank you so much for taking the time to share your knowledge, your stories, your mentorship. There is no questioning. You are unstoppable. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Cheers. We'll cut it there, man. Yes. Chef Lauren Mendoza dropping a Bombs of knowledge all over the place today. Not just Lauren. Uh, this restaurant group has been an, an honor to make an example of. I love their sense of community. Not just their community uh, within Charlottesville, but their their inner community within their four walls and existing to serve one another. And being around them, you, you just you pick up on this this service to one another. And I think that's a lesson in itself to to really look at those who are immediately around you, find out uh, how you can serve one another what lanes you belong in and then work together to do something great uh, and to really exist to bring out the best in one another. And you can really get that from being around these guys. So it was an honor to make an example of them. Uh, Some really great advice today too in sponsorship agreements and just generally the, the values from this group are something worth paying attention to. All right, guys, 
like always, please do reach out to me, Eric at restaurantunstoppable.com, Eric Cacciatore on Instagram and Twitter, and that's E-R-I-C-C-A-C-C-I-A-T-O-R-E. Follow me because, you know what, honestly, I need your help. And that's something I've been meaning to do is to kind of put out into the universe. I've learned too often on the show that you've got to put out into the universe what you want and and what you need. And what I need is help to take this thing to the next level. So if you think you have a special skill or knowledge or access to certain information or whatever, reach out to me, Eric at restaurantunstoppable.com or Eric Cacciatore on Instagram and Twitter. Tell me how you can contribute to this resource. I want to build a team uh, and I need help on the road. So if you've always wanted to travel the country living out of a car, uh, I I have some room, but there's a passenger seat. Um, we might have to sleep in a tent a couple nights, but it's been totally freaking rad living on the road, meeting these incredible people. I need help documenting it all. I need I need help doing the research. It's it's a lot to do on my own. And if you guys want to continue to get these three episodes a week of just invaluable information, reach out to me. Join the team. Let's do something freaking awesome. All right, guys, that's all for today. Thank you so much for sticking around this long. I love you all. Until next time, peace out.